Hello, and welcome to the Still to be Determined podcast, the podcast that follows up on topics from the YouTube channel Undecided with Matt Farrell. I am not Matt Farrell. I'm Sean Farrell. I'm his older brother. I am a writer, and I will be asking him the questions. And here to say hello is Matt. Hello. Before we get into the episode, a couple of reminders about ways you can support the podcast. You can, of course, keep doing what you're doing right now, which is simply listening. You can like, you can subscribe. You can also go to stilltbd.fm. There's a link on that page. When you follow that link, you'll find a cookie jar. You can throw some coins in the jar if you choose. But even if you don't, we appreciate whatever kind of support you're able to give. And before we get into this new episode, I wanted to share a couple comments from our last episode. This is on our episode that was titled, Give Me an N-E-O-M. What's that spell? Not monorail. <laughs> the episode obviously was discussing the Neom project, which is intended to now... Bear with me here. Build a straight line city. Yes. <laughs> this is a real project it's being done by real people on a real planet. The moon will be fake. Again, bear with me. That's like your there deep are plans there. <laughs> to make a fake moon. Yes. And as Matt said last time, the reason that they're making a fake moon is for all the most obvious reasons. They speak for themselves. We don't have to get into the details of arguing why building a fake moon is a good idea. <laughs> As a side note, I was recently informed of some news that was hitting social media. Of course, scientific news hitting social media can always be taken with a grain of salt. Headlines can be created that forecast things that are just simply not true. We all remember during the midst of the pandemic, which was a real event, we were all told the next thing was not only was the pandemic something we had to bear through, but uh, killer hornets were about to break into our homes and <laughs> completely destroy our way of life. Life as we know it. <laughs> so everything taken with a grain of salt. But apparently the real moon, not the fake one being built as part of the Neon project, but apparently there is a wobble in the rotation of the real moon. And the concern is that it could create tidal pull that could create massive flooding in the future around the year 2030. So <laughs> I had not seen that report. No, I hadn't seen it <laughs> that's either. Like icing on, was, that's icing on the cake. That is yeah, fantastic. Yeah. Oh my and God. it's really, you know, I'm, I'm just waiting for the argument that, well, clearly it's time for us to destroy the moon. So <laughs> on to the comments from the Neom episode. I'd like to start with friend of the podcast, Roger Starkey, who simply answered our question of what do you think the biggest takeaway from the Neom project could be? If there is a positive to come out of a project that sounds as strange as Neom does, what is it? And Matt argued that it would be desalinization. Roger writes, I'm with Matt. Power will be discussed, argued about, and solved by a multitude of solutions globally. It's already in progress. Desalinization has the potential to be the solution that possibly is the biggest source of conflict in the next 50 years. There's also this from Scheidel's Rest Homestead, who wrote, again, agreeing with Matt, desalinization. I agree with Matt. You can live without power, but you cannot live without water. Mm -hmm. There were also some comments from people who were weighing in on Matt's ongoing home building project, which I think the home building project as far as uh, communication around it with your audience, 
Yeah. Of course, you could create videos and do all of that, but a lot of that discussion seems to be happening in the podcast with me here. Yes. There's yep. a lot of discussion around that here. Yep. And C.A. Jagger wrote, Matt, we're building a new home too. Your video on geothermal heat pumps has convinced us to go with ground source for heating, cooling, and hot water. Thank you nice. very much. So That's I thought awesome. that was pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, also, pretty hot. Depending uh, on, no, depending on which state you go to. <laughs> I see what you did Thank there. you so much. I'm here all week. <laughs> you can see bad puns from the family. <laughs> That's right. There was also this from RCDIY. And I think it is, it is a, he starts off by saying purely devil's advocate. I get what they're going for here. Uh, but I thought it was an interesting comment. Purely devil's advocate by building a new home, the impact to the environment increases because the current home will continue as is. So sure, building a new home gives you a more environmentally home, but adds more GHGs to the atmosphere. However, retrofitting, updating your current home will reduce GHGs. And those are greenhouse gases. And I completely get what RCDIY is saying. There is a reality to if we've got a million homes on the planet and all of them are contributing to greenhouse, uh, building a million more homes that are zero carbon footprint doesn't change those million homes that exist. Correct. But I think then the devil's advocate to the devil's advocate that RCDIY is playing would be sometimes you need to move your home. Sometimes you simply cannot stay in a place and the positive here is that Matt has done what he can mm -hmm. to change the existing home, to make it as environmentally friendly as he could afford to do. And somebody coming in potentially could take the next step and yeah. increase that even more. Exactly. My current house, I'm leaving in a much better position than when I got it. So whoever comes in here is going to already have a huge leg up in that regard. So I'm, I'm, I'm like, a, what do you call it? Like a... Johnny Appleseed, right? <laughs> Sprinkling around, yeah. around making houses a, better to a live. Green in. <laughs> home Appleseed, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and also from RCDIY, I thought that this was arguably the best and and closing argument on the Neom project. RC writes, "Did he just want high speed rail and has to build a city along to justify it?" <laughs> that's, honestly, that's that. That I think that actually cracked something open I, for me. Yeah. yeah, I think I think you just cracked the code of what the yeah. Neom project's about. He wanted high speed rail and a straight line made the most sense. So let's build a city around. That. Yeah, yeah. I absolutely. As I read that, I was just like, uh huh. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it, oh, it's kind of simple when you think about it that it's, way. I could I could see the matrix now. Yes, yeah, right. <laughs> so well done, RC, and uh, thank you for closing that that. Uh, hanging question mm -hmm. for me. So on to today's episode, which is of course about energy storage in molten metal question mark, liquid metal energy. Sorry, not liquid metal energy. That's not what it is, Matt. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's liquid metal batteries. Explain. That's right. There you and go. And this was from July 13th, 2021. And as you mentioned, and the graphics in your video showed several times. You can't talk about this without constantly hearing liquid metal. <laughs> and 
That's not what this is about. This is not about uh, morphing robots that chases through the streets and turn their hands into ice picks. Yeah, it's not the T-1000 coming after no. us. This is <laughs> is about batteries that... I, I love the image of the syrup, the water, and the oil. <laughs> that looks like a dare. That's like a, yeah, like a kid Super in a simple. I couldn't <laughs> help it. I had two questions. Uh-huh. Uh, did you have trouble drinking at all? And how was it cleaning that glass? It's disgusting. Yeah, because there was would mol- be a moment where you're cleaning the it. Bottom. Yeah, it you're cleaning it, and there's molasses <laughs> on the bottom, and there's just oil at the top. So it's like... <laughs> Like, do I just throw this out? Do I break the glass? What do I do? I can't express the smell. The the bouquet that it made with sesame oil and then the the molasses. It was like, oh, this is, this is, this is making me gag. (laughs) (laughs) You invented Epicac. Yeah. Yeah. So well done. Thank you. So some of the questions that came in from this one, and I'll start again with friend of the podcast, Roger Starkey who raised a very interesting question and, and you um, you've talked about no one size fits all. There's not going to be a easy across the board, like, Oh, now we've solved the battery question. Yeah. But Roger raises a very good point, which is what is a good use for the lead in the millions of lead acid batteries currently in circulation? If we move on to a different technology, what does happen with the batteries that become the older and you know, the, the ones that fall by the wayside? What do we do with that? And I know you don't have an easy answer. You're not going to be able to say, well, good news. <laughs> yeah. No. Uh, but have you There's... seen anything in your research around these various programs that indicates that there could be potentially some way of, of managing that level of waste, not just of lead, but from other, from other sources. Well, it's, it really just comes down to, are there other things in our world that we're making that we can use that material in? Um, but going back to specifically batteries, it's like the lead acid batteries, I don't think are going to be going anywhere for a long time because they are so insanely cheap and they're very robust and they work really well for certain situations. So it's like, I don't think they're going to necessarily go away. Um, so it's like the, I don't think we'll ever have an issue where, with reusing something like lead. It's like, I think we'll find plenty of uses for it. It's just a matter of just recycling it. In the case of lead acid batteries, we recycle pretty much all of them. So it's like, we're already reusing a lot of the lead that we have from those batteries today. So I don't mm-hmm. think there's going to be a problem finding uses for it, but there are going to be uh, elements that are going to end up being we have no use for this. It's just going to go into a landfill or just end up in a junk pile somewhere, which is not obviously great, but I didn't come across anything in my research on this that had a good answer for that. And there's a question that's, or a comment that's raised by Jim Graham who wrote, he's plugging for aluminum ion as opposed to lithium ion Mm -hmm. and says they have three times the capacity durability is not there yet, but it's improving and it looks promising. And I was wondering what have you learned about aluminum ion, if anything, and is this something you would revisit in the future? I'm going to be revisiting it in the future. It's, it's a topic I've been starting to dig into a little bit more and more. Um, there's actually some good videos on it already. Um, I believe, uh, Ricky at Tuba Da Vinci has a good video on it. Um, it, it's a very promising thing, but there are some 
serious limitations that are kind of like have to be overcome before it can become a real thing. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's, it's not that it's not going to happen. It's, it's going to be one of these, it's going to be in the mix of choices for people to try and to use and finding the right use case. So finding the right tool for the job is what it always comes down to. So I, I definitely don't look at this as it's going to be aluminum or it's going to be liquid metal. It's like they both can exist in the space and find the right use cases. But it, from everything I've seen so far, aluminum still has a ways to go before it can actually become a thing because there are some challenges that just are still in the way at the moment. Mm-hmm. There was this from, and this is this is a elite speak uh, username. Took me a moment to f- decipher what what zero t t h e h number three l l meant when I realized it was what the hell. <laughs> That's nice. I kind of slapped myself in the forehead. And what writes, you didn't mention the biggest short-term challenge for lithium-ion. There's not enough production capacity for the necessary raw materials, and the producers might not be able to scale quickly enough. Complementary technologies that use different raw materials are extremely important. Liquid metal batteries are particularly interesting because they tolerate and even benefit from high environmental temperatures. Most types of lithium-ion degrade quickly when used at high temperature. Unfortunately... He continues, the Ambry battery is in the very early stages of mass production. The first Mm -hmm. and so far only planned project, the one in Reno, is planned to be delivered to the customer from 2021 to 2023. At that low pilot scale production rate, the technology is useless. If they can't scale production very rapidly, it might never be economically competitive. So I think there's two two separate uh, comments here to sort of discuss one would be um the lithium ion production and scalability because of the lack of necessary raw materials what what would you share around that is that what you've seen as well and yeah the supply chains are very constrained right now there's not enough materials to go around which creates a shortage in battery supply. Like every battery maker is struggling with this supply chain, supply chain, supply chain, not enough nickel, not enough lithium. So it's like, there's, it's just industry-wide. So everybody's struggling with this. And so if you're talking about a new technology like this, trying to ramp up, they're going to have a real hard time because they're competing against companies like LG and Panasonic, like two of the biggest battery manufacturers in the world who have probably sapped up a huge amount of the materials. It's like, they're going to be competing against those big boys. So it makes it harder for them. The one thing where I would argue is that to say that because they're building their demonstrator plant between now and 2023, it's it's being built in phases, which is why it's going over several years. It's like you start small, then you add to it, then you add to it again, and you keep ramping it up to see how it performs at each of those stages. And then once you prove it out, then you can start selling to broader customers and you go from demonstrator to pilot to commercial. This is the way it always works. And I, I always struggle with this in every topic. People's patience is like this, this long. It's like these things take years, if not sometimes decades. They're just at the beginning. And there are so many other battery technologies that are in the same exact place as them. So it's not like they're ahead or necessarily behind. Solid state's not expected to be a thing until the end of the decade. So it's like <laughs> when you kind of look at where things are, they're not fallen that far behind and it's not like they're gonna just become a also ran because some other technology beat them i keep coming back to the topic of the right tool for the right job 
So if there's another battery technology that's meant for the same exact use case as them that beats them to the punch and beats them on price, then yes, they're they're probably going to stall out. But I think it's way too early in this race to call any winners or any losers yet. Right. Because they're all kind of this next decade is gonna be really interesting to see because there's like dozens of these different technologies all racing right now, building out demonstrator plants. It's gonna be interesting to see which ones actually kind of stick with it and can move forward. Right. It seems as you're talking about it to me that it's less of a horse race and more of a Ironman competition where it's various legs of different types and one may outpace the other forms in one portion of that race, but then in the next portion, it may not work at all. So if you had competitors coming in and and with very, very different styles of energy storage or energy production, depending on which, which section of this we're talking about. And we go back and forth between them, depending on what your videos are. Um, it seems very much like it's people's yardsticks start to become too static and that they're not able to shift their thinking and shift gears enough to really evaluate something like this. Like this seems to me one of the great advantages and you talked about it and, and it was just mentioned by Watt in his comment, um, the ability for something to benefit from high heat environment. You think Mm -hmm. about the future of solar production in a region of the country or around the world, which might be just intensely hot for a good portion of the year, the dangers of battery use in those areas, if that's taken away by batteries that actually benefit because the liquid metal inside it, it limits the, the needs for those it seems like a certain portion of the energy within the battery would need to be used in order to keep it up to temperature mm-hmm. and that that would be limited if the environment itself is providing some of that heat. And that just seems like a real, like a double check mark of like, is it safe in this environment and does it benefit from it? That's yes. a, that's a really great thing. That, that's exactly what I was saying about the right tool for the right job. That specific use case, that might be the perfect solution. The other thing is like, I've worked in the software industry for my entire career and I've worked at startups and I've got lots of friends that have started startups and have successfully like sold them and things like that. I've seen one of the things you do is when you start your startup to get your funding, you're saying, my company is going to do X. And then in the first year you realize, oh crap, we're not gonna be able to do X because this other company's already just launched a product that does that exact thing. And you have to suddenly pivot and figure out how can I spin my original idea and take it in a slightly different direction to hit a market that's not being satisfied yet. That's what these companies are going to do. So it's like if liquid metal, if they're saying it's going to do X, Y, and Z, and then somebody beats them to Z, they can still then focus on X and Y. So it's not like they're going to just be out of the race if somebody else beats them to the punch on one of the use cases, which is why I, I'm like, all I say is to people is like, have patience. Don't call the horse race too early. And I like your analogy of the, uh, the Ironman, a, a marathon might be a good yeah. <laughs> analogy too so it's like this is a marathon not a sprint uh we got to see how this stuff plays out and it's still too way too early to call right there was also this response from tofo who had a bone to pick with you 
one of the, your quotes from the episode was that the most popular and widespread energy storage is lithium ion. And mm-hmm. Tofo writes, that's not true at all. Pumped hydro beats it by a very large margin. Yes. Okay. So that's a technicality. Yes. I was, I should have clarified battery technology. It's the most popular battery technology. It's lithium ion right now. Right. For energy storage, hydro is just the, the king. Like nobody's close to it yet. So yes, he's 100% correct. Right. So would that count as effectively physical battery, which you've talked yes. about before? Okay. Yep. It's a physical battery. That's, that's the, the limitation on that is where are you in the world? Like if you right. don't have large bodies of water that you can pump around, you can't do it. Right. Which is why things like batteries are necessary because you can put them anywhere. So I guess that that comment combined with your response right now kind of answers my next question, which would, in the short term, how would you stack this liquid metal battery up against other things like physical batteries, kinetic batteries, water batteries, things like that? Um, it seems very much like you're on the side of like, well, in the short term, those are your best options if you have the ability to use those. Yes, 100%. But the, in time... uh uh, chemical batteries or mechanical batteries are going to, I think in the long run be the winners because they're going to be smaller, take up less room. They can be placed anywhere in the world and they may end up with even cheaper, not may, they should end up with cheaper costs than something like pumped hydro stuff like liquid air batteries, things like that, like where you're just literally compressing and storing and cryogenically freezing, you know, air, and then releasing it, it's like that kind of system could in the long run end up being far cheaper than hydro. So it's, it's just, mm-hmm. it's just a matter of time. Right. So it's less the T1000 we should be worried about. It's more carbonite <laughs> freezing. Yes. All right. <laughs> yes. So with that, I'll leave it to the listeners now to respond. And my question to all of you is if you had to bet where would you expect there to be battery storage in our future? Would you put it into liquid metal batteries like this, or would you expect to see something physical, something chemical? And where you live, do you already see some of this future tech on your uh, on your landscape? Let us know. You can leave those comments below. You can also reach out to the podcast through the contact information in the podcast description. We have many ways you can support the podcast. Please don't forget to do something as simple as like or subscribe. You can also visit stilltbd.fm. There you'll see the support the podcast link. And through that link, you'll see our virtual cookie jar. And in that virtual cookie jar, you can put virtual money. Please be sure to give us a rating or review. Share us with your friends. All of those really do help the podcast. The podcast helps the channel. The channel helps Matthew. And then Matthew helps me remember to adjust my light settings on my camera. (laughs) Thanks so much for listening, everybody. Talk to you next time.